Welcome to Walters Kluwer's Audit Talks podcast series, brought to you by CCH Incorporated, where we hear firsthand from audit insiders on the latest trends, news, and technologies designed to help you transform and elevate your audit and advisory practice. Hi, I'm Andrea Hearn, Senior Technical Manager at Walters Kluwer, and your host for this episode of Audit Talks. My guests today are Carl Mays, Associate Director of CPA Quality and Evolution for the AICPA, and John Miller, QC Audit Chairholder at Doran Mayhew. Some of what they'll be sharing with us today are important updates on the 2021 AICPA's Enhancing Audit Quality Initiative Areas of Focus and suggestions for improving audit quality in these areas. Thank you for taking the time to join us today, John and Carl. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you. So, Carl, what are the 2021 Enhancing Audit Quality Areas of Focus that auditors should be aware of? Yeah, and thanks so much, uh, you know, to Walters Kluwer and Andrea for you guys uh, having us on and being able to share this with your audience. Um, so thinking about our areas of focus, a little bit of background. So, you know, our, our Enhancing Audit Quality Initiative at the AICPA has been going on since 2014. And what we do every year is we pull together subject matter experts, including the chairs of the Auditing Standards Board and, uh, you know, the Peer Review Board, various other senior technical committees at the AICPA. And we identify usually around five uh, areas where we're really going to pour a lot of effort and energy uh, into trying to promote quality or improve quality. Uh, and in 2021, our areas of focus are COVID audit implications, uh, which is really kind of our top uh, area of, of focus this year. We'll talk a little bit about that. Revenue recognition, risk assessment, uh, engagement acceptance, and emerging a test. Uh, so just kind of talking about each one of those for a second with revenue recognition, you know, ASC 606 is out there, ASC 606 was implemented by a fair number of firms this past year or by a fair number of uh, you know entities this past year uh, and you know now this year we see everybody kind of picking that up in the private company space we reached out to peer reviewers and some of the top issues that they're seeing in from an implementation perspective identification of performance obligations i think that makes sense you know identifying contracts that are relevant that that need to be considered and identifying variable consideration so you know variable consideration, uh, you know, just think about the current environment. If you have a variable consideration that's based on, you know, achievement of certain sales volumes, did you meet those sales volumes in 2020? Uh, is it really realistic that you're going to earn that? Uh, so that's kind of an audit audit concern, right? Performance obligations. If you had new, you know, issues relative or, you know, new services being delivered relative to, you know, free delivery, something like that, as, as you know, the entities kind of transformed the way that they deliver their products and services during the pandemic pandemic, did it create new performance obligations that maybe hadn't been considered by the entity in the in the past, hadn't been considered for audit purposes in the past, but we need to think about. And then determining appropriate transaction price allocations, which is which is kind of a broad way of talking about all of that. You know, we, we also asked reviewers, what are the top audit areas, uh, top audit issues relative to revenue recognition? And we heard the biggest issue is determining whether 606 was properly applied. I think that makes sense. You know, it's a very long standard on certain industries. It's going to have a much bigger impact than other others. So we want to make sure that, you know, we're digging into that and considering the impact. And I'll share with you an emerging theme that we're seeing through peer review 
is kind of this this premise that there's no material impact of 606 you know to our entity so you know you might have a client who says well we're just going to continue to apply 605 because there's no material impact and we just want to make sure as auditors that we're considering what that means so have we considered uh, you know, the analysis that they've conducted to determine that there's no material impact and have we concluded ourselves that that's accurate, there is no material impact with the standard and have we documented that consideration within our working papers? And I can tell you from a peer review perspective, if we're not thinking about the impact of 606, there's not evidence within those audit, audit working papers that that's being considered, that's gonna be a challenge uh, for peer review purposes. So encourage everybody, you know, we've got lots of free tools to help everyone from a revenue recognition perspective at AICPA.org slash revenue recognition. Encourage you to check those out. From a risk assessment perspective, common challenges that we see around that, you know, understanding of internal control, you know, kind of accepting that your client has controls. If you can perform an audit on them, then management has to have established some policies and procedures to prevent and or, uh, you know, detecting correct material misstatements. So your client's got some controls. And then the question is, what do you do with those controls? Make sure that you're looking at their design and their implementation, confirming that those were properly designed, properly implemented. If you're gonna test them uh, and ultimately rely on them in lieu of uh, performing further procedures, you wanna make sure that those, those controls were operating effectively during the period of reliance. A lot of times that's the, that's the whole financial reporting period. Addressing significant risks. So, you know, if they have fraud risks, those are gonna be significant risks. If you have, you know, a client, every single client guys from audit purposes uh, or for audit purposes gonna have at least one significant risk and that's management override. And virtually every uh, client is going to have two, and the other one is uh, revenue recognition. And then there's there should be uh, oftentimes additional significant risks that are identified because of changes in accounting, you know, unique circumstances associated with that client. So I encourage everybody to identify those significant risks. The reason that it's relevant is because where where you have identified a significant risk, there's a specific response that's kind of laid out in AUC 330. You need to make sure that you understand the controls relevant to that risk, I need to make sure that you've done appropriate testing to reduce that risk to an acceptably low level. Identifying assertion level risks. So, you know, one of the challenges that we often see is folks assessing risk at the account level instead of digging down to that assertion level. And, it, you know, anytime you take a look at the procedures that you're performing in an audit, those procedures often link back to a given financial statement assertion. Uh, so we want to make sure that our risks that we identify are at that assertion level so we can make that linkage. And that kind of gets to the last thing that we see around risk assessment, and that's linkage of risk assessment to your procedures, documenting that linkage so that an experienced auditor can come behind you and understand, you know, these are the risks that they identified. Here's how they address those risks, and, and that makes sense. So I'll also point out we've got the AUC 3 15 exposure draft. It was out there in, in 2020. Anticipation is that, you know, comments are, are being reviewed right now. Hope is that I think this fall that would be approved uh, as a final standard for implementation in a few years. So uh, just keep your eyes peeled for that and AICPA.org slash risk assessment, lots of free tools. And then last thing, and then I'll be quiet for a second. So, uh, you know, engagement acceptance and emerging a test, really they kind of 
go well together. And what both of them are about is making sure that you have the competency to take on the jobs that you take on. So, you know, uh, system and organization control engagement, SOC engagements are a rapidly growing area of practice. I, I've heard some estimates that it's become a billion dollar market. Uh, so as firms enter that market and they start performing those services, you wanna make sure not only do you understand the attest standards relative to those engagements, but you understand the industry, you understand what the ask is, uh, and you have experience on that team, you have the requisite competency to perform it well. Direct engagements are kind of a new thing, so make sure that you understand direct engagements and what the implications are there. And I'll just mention the AICPA is coming out with a practice aid relative to quality control that really focuses more on engagement acceptance than anything else. And it's about, you know, the factors that we've seen over the past few years that influence the quality of the uh, ultimate engagement. And that's by studying, you know, engagements that have been subject to peer review. And what we see more often than anything, guys, is it's about the engagement partner. Does the engagement partner have the requisite competency to perform that job and to oversee that job? So does the engagement partner have experience in audit? Do they do one audit every year? Are they doing 11 plus uh, every year? Do they have you know 5,000 hours of experience over the past five years doing audit or do they have under 2,000? And those things really, at least within our sample, had a strong correlation to quality performance. So encourage everybody to think about that as you're uh, pulling together your engagement teams. Well, that was excellent information, a great share and some great advice there. I heard you mention COVID implications as, as one of the areas, and I think we'll take a, a little deeper dive into that in a moment. But before we go there, John, do these sort of line up with what you've seen in terms of increased areas of attention or focus in your practice? Yes, absolutely. The last peer review we had, risk assessment was the number one theme and the linkage. And that's the nice thing about Knowledge Coach, so the Walters Clore product, is that the, the linkage and the diagnostics ability, you know, when something isn't linked properly, is to me probably the, the highlight of the product in the sense that, you know, most products have standard steps, but that the whole linkage and, and flagging when you have a linkage issue is huge. So I agree, obviously, with everything that Carl is saying. RevRec, uh, it, has, it took on its own life for a period of time as we had clients implement that. And engagement acceptance, uh, ironically enough, has been something that's been big in the last six to eight months for us because as COVID hit, we, uh, our marketing department heated up. We had a lot of uh, new opportunities, people coming over, switching firms because they felt like they didn't, they didn't get audited last year by the other firms uh, or whatever, you know, service issues. And uh, we had a lot of opportunities this year. So we had a lot of discussion around engagement acceptance. And um, fortunately, we're big enough where we have quite a few folks that either are homegrown or, or came from other firms that have experience in various you know, industries where it's not necessarily our niche. There definitely was a lot of discussion around those topics. And John, can I ask you a quick question while we're, while we're talking about that? So one of the things that we've seen is around single audit in the current environment. I think there's something like 10,000 new single audits. Many of them, you know, you've got single audit-esque engagements being required by the federal government for for-profit entities. Are you guys seeing any of that in, their mar in your marketplace? We already have a fair amount of uh, single audit in various forms. So we, we already have a few folks that, that kind of live in that world. As far as uh, an increase, not necessarily an increase as, as much as maybe people just rotating firms for various reasons. 
Yeah, I think our GAQC governmental audit quality center folks would shoot me if I didn't mention, you know, if you have a client and the client's never had a single audit before, you don't have a single audit practice, really encourage folks to to think long and hard about whether you have the competency to take on those single audits. You know, you can always bring in uh, a firm within your network, you know, a firm that you have a good relationship with who has a single audit practice and take on that job without, you know, having that risk of losing the primary, uh, you know, financial statement audit. So one thing you both touched on there were uh, around COVID implications. Carl, what are some of the most common issues seen as a result of COVID? Yeah, and I'll, I'll talk about some of the things that we're hearing about. I'm really interested to see, you know, what John is seeing out there in practice, because obviously, you know, we know what we hear through our ANA hotline and and through our discussions with practitioners, but we're not out there on the ground. So, you know, some of the most common things, and I'll kind of highlight, I think it's five of them here. One is around internal control. So I know, you know, when I worked in practice, I had a number of clients who had manual controls. You know, when you have manual controls and they're relevant controls to the audit, and then all of a sudden you have stay-at-home orders, it's pretty hard to execute those manual controls. So then the question is, what replaces them? Uh, and do you ultimately end up with a deficiency in control? So we're hearing a lot of that. There's deficiencies in controls especially with those types of audits. And, you know, obviously that that creates certain risks as you go through the audits. So make sure that as you're going in, you're thinking about, are there significant deficiencies here? Are there material weaknesses? Did the controls that are relevant to the audit change uh, versus last year? And this is one of those places, guys, where as we look at 2020 year ends, Sally, the same as last year approach is probably not going to work uh, for a lot of entities. We really got to look long and hard at, did those controls you know maintain consistent with the previous year or have we seen changes and are the new controls properly designed and implemented to effectuate you know what they were meant to do i think an important thing there is setting expectations with clients so you know you may have a client that has a stellar record from a control perspective they had a good control environment but you know just thinking about some of the clients i had you know they might stamp an invoice paid and that was a really good control for them to avoid duplicate payments and things like that but they don't have that stamp when they're at home. So how are they, you know, how are they working through that? You know, just keep that top of mind. And that kind of leads to fraud risk, which is the second of, you know, some of the major areas that we're focused on. I'm actually doing a fraud webcast later on uh, today uh, focused on this, but, uh, you know, all you need is opportunities, incentives, and rationalization, right? So from an opportunity perspective, you got internal control breakdowns, key personnel might be laid off, employees might be moved out of the typical office environment. We've heard about supply chain breakdowns, and all of a sudden you need to get vendors into the system, like immediately, you know, opportunities for ghost employees and so on. So you've got opportunities their, you know, incentives from March to May of last year, 40 million jobless claims. So lots of incentive for folks who maybe their spouse was one of those jobless claims and so on. And thinking about the viability of the business, you know, maybe we have a loan covenant, maybe there's uh, going concern issues, and you need to really dig into how management address that because if you've got those two things, all you need is rationalization, you end up with fraud. PPP loan accounting, this is the number one question that we get on our ANA hotline. You know, should it be accounted for as dead? At what point? <laughs> Uh, is it forgiven? Uh, it's a very common question that we get. 
accounting estimates. So, you know, estimates relative to revenue, obviously, but re also estimates relative to bad debts. When should I recognize bad debts? Is the, you know, maybe I recognize 10% of all my AR as bad debts, just wrote them all off in the past. Is 10% still the right number or 5% or whatever, whatever it is, or in the current environment, especially if you're, you know, a restaurant supply, you know, business or something like that, should that number be higher? And then thinking about intangible assets and, and various other things where you could see, you know, issues from a valuation perspective and then going concerned is is really the last one. Uh, can my client continue as a going concern? Difficult difficult call both for management and for us, especially if that entity is being propped up by you know governmental funding. Because you know at what point is that spigot going to get turned off? So it's really you know challenging environment. I think in all five of those areas. Yeah, thank you, John. Back again to you for your thoughts on these areas or your uh, recommendations or best practices here. Yeah, I, you know, give you perspective, our, our firm, we have about uh, three to 400 employees and we have a large consulting tax practice, so it's not all audit, but uh, we're where we have a couple niche industries, three or four and uh, folks with different backgrounds. But one of the things in talking to some of my network firms, I found out that we have 100% EQR. Every, every report that goes out from compilations up has a full EQR. And uh, I found out that other firms are kind of uh, more hit or miss, maybe have other priorities when reviewing or having a QC function, which, which is allowable under the QC standards, but that's not how our firm operates. So in listening to some of the items that Carl was mentioning, I think we did a nice job from a standpoint of, you know, we would look at going concern, obviously, on all our clients. Fortunately, we didn't have a lot. We had a lot of clients that took advantage of the PPP loans, really kept them afloat, probably avoided the going concern issues by doing the PPP loans, but we were all over the accounting. Uh, some guidance came out last summer, you know, government grant method versus debt method and disclosures and so forth. So we were ahead of that. You know, the internal control issues, I'll be honest, our clients are not large, you know, control-based type uh, settings. So we do our walkthroughs like we're supposed to. We do our risk assessment like our, we're supposed to, but we're really still heavily uh, substantive-based audit approach. And, and so one of the things that we did see uh, is that we, we kind of expanded our substantive testing because when we had a situation like, for example, uh, while somebody invoiced somebody at year end for a payable, but the uh, AP clerk is at home, how are they going to book that into the system properly and get it in the right time period? We kind of uh, elongated our uh, subsequent disbursement testing into multiple months to make sure that you know we'd catch things like that, that maybe there was an invoice sitting around on somebody's desk and they weren't in for months. Uh, so we saw a little bit of that. So it, it really, uh, frankly, it dragged out the busy season from three to four to five months. We still had stuff uh, as of last week that still was going out. And uh, we just kind of changed up our approach a little bit. So that, that was kind of the, the big thing with respect to how uh, COVID impacted it near year end. Um, obviously we had the inventory and remote you know, logistics we dealt with last fall. I think we got through those pretty good with the use of FaceTimes and iPads and such. But uh, yeah, I would I would say more substantive work and less controls is really what we ended up doing. Now, do we document properly in, in the risk assessment? Uh, I hope so, but I, probably we didn't do 100% perfect. Then we, we need to look into the use of that significant risk a little bit more and take more credit for what we did by backfilling the documentation going forward. So. I made that note, Carl. 
Great, thank you for sharing. And uh, you guys gave some great practical information and advice on what the enhancing audit quality initiative areas we should be focusing on and thinking about now. Let's spend a few minutes with you, John, on what's coming next and how to prepare. Specifically, you know, there's uh, SAS 134 to 140 will be effective at the end of this year. Any advice, John, or thoughts on what to do to get ready for those? Yeah, it's kind of funny, you know, you think about like busy season and that busy season kind of comes down to an end and then what do you do from there? Well, for me, it's always been as soon as busy season kind of stops, you start thinking about training and CPE and getting ready for next year. So we didn't really have to search very far to figure out what we needed to do this year. Obviously, the new auditors that we, much like most firms, took advantage of uh, the option to defer them a year. So uh, we, we are currently putting together in, internal training slides for all the new audit standards. We have a, a separate group of benefit plan specialists that even though they're they're working on the 2020 audits, they're already starting to plan for SAS 136 and the, the implications of all that. We're also utilizing a lot of the materials in ARM, gas update service, closer look documents that is part of a kind of research manager and uh, trying to gather all that information to put together our internal trainings to uh, prepare everyone for that. In addition to, um, we've already adopted SSA 19 with the AUP standards, because we do have quite a few AUPs. We've already early adopted that one because it makes things easier. And then we have the new, the SARS-25. We've incorporated some of those items already. So there's a, there's plenty of work to do to uh, get people up to speed and, and get trained up. In addition to all that, we're, we're in the middle of trying to figure out how we're going to roll everything out at a minimum you know all new engagement letters updated engagement letters for everything to, to incorporate the new audit standards and then training people up on things that maybe they haven't used i do have some sec uh, background the firm i was at i came over seven years ago so i understand what a critical accounting matter is but we got to train people on key audit matters i do have a question for carl you know it's optional as far as whether or not you have to uh, address key audit matters but we have some industries that for example financial institutions is about 20 25 percent of our firm I, I have to believe like the allowance for loan loss is probably going to be an automatic key audit matter on every single engagement but in looking at some of the uh, 10k wizard research people have done you know, goodwill or rev rack or taxes, business combinations were kind of the, the highlights of the key audit matters that people included in in the reports are for critical accounting matters. What do you what do you expect to see in the non-public side with respect to key audit matters and uh, what what that will look like comparatively to like what people have been doing in PCOB uh, along the way? It's it's a good question, John, and I'm not sure at this point we know. But I, you know, with respect to the financial institution thing, I will share. So my my background is maybe, uh, you know, mostly not for profit, and I worked with you know startup businesses and so on. So financial institutions, I would have to dig into that for you, and, and just see what our standards folks, uh, you know, think around that. But just one last thing that I'll mention real quick: uh, quality management standard is out there for exposure. You know, could be a big change for smaller firms. Really encourage folks to take a look at that AICPA quality management standard. You know. John just mentioned EQCR and getting engagement quality control reviewers. There's some changes around that in that standard. We really want feedback around that. So John and Carl, I'd like to thank you for being our guest speakers today. I think that was an excellent discussion. Thank you. Sarah. This Audit Talks podcast series is a 2021 production of CCH Incorporated. 
The content is for general information purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for professional accounting and audit advice.